Hey, Chris. Hey, what's up, Travis? Hey, I was just wondering if you've uh, been on Kickstarter lately. The crowdfunding site? Yeah, so there's this new Kickstarter you can check out called the Neo Fighter Safubi minifigure series that features some wonderful new designs from one of our listeners. So if you want to head over to kickstarter.com, type in the search block, Neo Figures, Sufubi Minifigure Series, you'll find this awesome Kickstarter. Currently over 50% funded. If you want to go check it out, you can check out all the rewards they have to offer and, uh, you know, help bring this thing to life. So he's only got a little more ways to go. So let's help bring it to life. everyone, welcome to the Urban Robot Cat Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Likens. I'm Chris RWK. And I'm Corey from Strange Cat Toys. And we're here for episode 44. But first, we want to take a second to thank our sponsors. First up, we have Stickerfied. They made a wonderful sticker for us, and they want to do the same for you. Make sure to head over to stickerfied.com. We also have No Love City. No Love City, the home of the official full-color Urban Robot Cat t-shirt. You can head over to nolovecity.com and put in the code Urban Robot Cat, and you'll receive 10% off your order. Also, we have SD Prints, sdscreenprinting.net, where you can get some wonderful screen printed product to sell at your own original Etsy store or wherever that is that you want to sell your product. Head over to sdscreenprinting.net. Finally, we have TYO Toys, tyotoys.com, where you can pick up some wonderful DIY platform toys to put your own original artwork on, or just have a cool van for your desk. Make sure to head over to tyotoys.com. Chris. Three weeks in a row. Yep. And I told you, vacation season's over. I'm done. You sure about that? Well, I am going away for my birthday for one night, but I made sure. I made sure it's not around the time of recording. I'm glad you planned your birthday celebration around our recording schedule. I'm getting scared that you're going to have, you know, Vincent take my place. I mean, you guys are so, <laughs> he's so, he's so eager to jump in the seat. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, he was texting me today asking if we needed anybody. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn graves, not even cold yet. So what have you been up to besides hanging out and whatever else it is that you're doing? I've just been waiting around to record. That's it. I'm too scared to do anything else. No, uh, I've been painting, doing a lot of commission work, um, picked up a lot of commissions this week, which was nice. And then I got to start working on my solo show for December and um, getting ready to turn another year older. Nice. What's your uh, cake of choice? Chocolate. Chocolate cake. I got a chocolate sweet tooth like nobody's business. Chocolate cake, chocolate frosting? 100. I, you know, I, I grew up, you know, my parents had an ice cream store. I'm not even that big a fan of ice cream, to be honest. I think I just had my fill of it. So like when people ask me for a cake, it's chocolate cake. That's it. No ice cream cake. Keep it simple. Now, how old are you going to be this year? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm old enough to vote twice and then some. I thought you were going to be 29 this year. Yeah, I'm 29 for the 15th time. I could do the math on that one. But anyway, what about you, Corey? What are you up to? Um, up to my knees and boxes, 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 just keep flooding in from China and just keep trying to ship them all out, but they never stop coming in. It's good. I just, if it wasn't for COVID, man, you know, like Matilda could go to daycare and Yvette could help me out or, you know, maybe I could hire somebody. I don't know. But like, it's just, I'm doing all of it. And I also got to answer emails every day and add new products and talk to different vendors. It's, I also do wholesale. It's, it's just a lot. You gotta explain to people how toys are made and if you can make their toy or not. You know how it is. Yep, that whole thing too. I just refer him to Travis. <laughs> Has uh, Chris ever considered being an administrative assistant? If I didn't have to be located in Florida, I could probably pull it off. I thought that was your plan to end up here. 
Oh, it is in a few years. I can't yeah, do it you, now. You can work part-time at Disney and part-time at Strange Cat. Absolutely. I'm going to get a house right in between. I was going to say, the commute's kind of the, <laughs> the challenge there. No, well, they have that uh, Orlampa, right? Yeah, they have that, that light rail or whatever it is. Sadly, I could probably drive, if I lived in Orlando, I probably could drive to Corey's quicker than it takes me to get to work from here. Yeah, it's only like an hour away. Yeah, exactly. And I live in the same city that I work in. What about you, Travis? Uh, not a whole lot here. Yeah, still getting ready for the baby. So that's been kind of dominating some time. I've been cutting a lot of really small tags off of really small clothing. Right. <laughs> that's been kind of the, the week. It's been, you know, just like getting things prepped and getting things uh, set up, you know, so when the baby gets here, we're ready and uh, we're not scrambled around trying to find the clothing and whatnot. We'll have it all ready to go. You know, I feel like as long as we start off on a good note, you know, once things kind of go south the first month or so, it'll be... Uh, you know, at least we started out on the right foot. <laughs> so we're trying to get organized there. Otherwise, Toy World, uh, nothing nothing too crazy going on around here. Um, I did get a new toy, courtesy of unofficial show sponsor Strange Cat Toys. I sent over this new thing called a Power Raider. And it's essentially a bootleg Megazord made out of soft vinyl. And I got to say, Corey, I was actually kind of impressed with the thing once I got it. Yeah, Black Seed makes really, really good toys. Like their quality is top notch. Uh, whatever factory they're using, the thought and of how to tear it apart and you know make it a combiner toy and then break it down into the smaller pieces uh, is actually pretty cool for a toy that uh, you know it's not like an official thing. Does it give you ideas for like hmm, maybe we could make something like this? So what I've actually and I guess I'm going to wrap myself out here. So my actual dream of making Power Ranger stuff is not the Power Ranger stuff. It's the the bad guys. Like the people in the rubber suits, like that's the stuff I want to make. I would love to make those in like soft vinyl. They they actually did some back in the day. There's probably like five or six of them that were soft vinyl, but they never really did like the cool characters. So I would love to, you know, get some sort of license and do that. But, you know, 20, 25 goals, I guess we'll say. From what I understand, I don't think the Power Ranger license is very hard to get. I'm sure they don't care because Bandai America made some shit toys for like 50 years. So, like. <laughs> Well, I mean, even like Loyal Subjects got it, and their theirs wasn't that great either. So they they seem to kind of go for the easy licenses too, like Ninja Turtles and SpongeBob. So I, I'm sure it's one you could get. They probably only care about the Power Rangers because that's all they make, right? So then they make like some of the big U.S. villains, but they don't really make like the weird stuff. And that's the stuff I would like to make. Not the I don't want to make like Tommy, like even though that's what sells. I want to make I Guy or the Pig, like all the weird shit that they had on the show. I think they I think they would sell if you made them like a good size, like a twenty inch soft vinyl. It's never been done. Like, it's just, it doesn't exist. The original action figures are all that exist. So I can't be the only person that's like, that thing was really cool and it's never been made. Because, I mean, essentially they're like Ultraman villains. You know? Yeah. Like, that's really what they were, but they're, you know, from the Super Sentai and then imported to America made the Power Rangers. But they just don't exist. And there's some really cool, weird shit that they had on that show. I don't, I don't get the obsession with Power Rangers. It's before, it's, your, before your time, sir. After my time. Oh, after your time, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were only 29. But, yeah, I mean, you don't get uh, Thundercats either, too, right? Isn't that what the other one you don't like? No, I, I get Thundercats, but I don't appreciate it. I don't like oh. it. I thought it was, I thought it was a really bad ripoff of He-Man. Anyway, what are we here for this week? We are here to talk to a guest that is a new guest, not a repeat guest. No Vincent Scala this week, guys. We have somebody new for the show. We actually have the one, the only, 
City Kitty. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no problem. So before we get too far into it, let's go ahead and have you tell listeners that may not know who you are a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do in the world of art. I'm a little out of my depth here because I'm not really in the toy world. I'm a a street artist based out of New York City. Uh, First off, Chris, I'm sorry. I do love ice cream cake. Now, I've been I've been a street artist for about ten years, mainly over ten years now, uh, mainly focusing on uh, all handmade and hand drawn wheat paste. Uh, I'm based out of New York, but I travel around uh, Europe and the U.S. a lot. So uh, I guess that's really the gist of it. Well, you 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 cover more than just street art, though, because you have. I was telling the guys earlier that. When my dog had passed, you had sent me the amazing, illustrative, stylized, realistic painting of my dog. Like, it just caught me off guard so much. And it was great to see that and know that you did it because I was so used to your street art stuff. Sure. You you have the classically trained talents, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, I mean, I guess the street art realm's kind of strange. You get a lot of, uh, once I started getting into the world of street art, I met a lot of people who were frustrated graphic designers who kind of wanted to make their own work and uh, have their own voice and put that up in the world. And I came from um, like a fine art background and really, but came in the same realm where I was a fine artist, went to school for painting, came to New York, and then kind of instantly got uh, thrown into the world of street art by meeting people in the street art gallery scene and realizing that I can make paintings and no one could ever see them or I could make you know whatever I wanted and put it on the street and at least somebody was going to see something that I enjoyed making no that's awesome that's it's actually kind of the opposite of what we were used to kind of seeing where it's like people kind of start out as you know they, they kind of step into the realm of of the art field through street art then kind of quote-unquote grow it's almost like you you went the opposite route where you appreciated the freedom of it and kind of went for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have met over the years people who have gone to school like uh, for art, and I, I kind of had a kinship with some of those people like uh, Lopi, Elemenopi, and Royser, uh, who just have more of a, a painterly background, and you start to see that more in their work. Uh, and it's nice to see them progress, too, because a lot of the times you don't really see um, the other work that they do because, you know, similar to toys or anything along those lines, you're, you're branding yourself, you're trying to create a persona that you can, you know, market. Gotcha. You you mentioned wheat pastes and, and more hand-done pieces. Is that just kind of the painterly quality that, you know, you look for rather than something like a mass-produced kind of repetitive imagery or? Uh, I mean... I have absolutely nothing against people, you know, putting up repetitive imagery and and mass producing things. I think that's, you know, that's great. I really appreciate just people like their hustle and going out there and putting up work. But for me, it was, you know, I I constantly always have made work. So it's like, if I don't put it out there, I'm just going to have it pile up somewhere. So, I mean, I am drawn to other artists that, you know, make work by hand or, you know, that, um, you know, kind of just challenge themselves more in their work rather than just putting up mass produced work. But I mean, I like both sides of it because I think, you know, also when it comes to branding, you know, sometimes someone who does a lot of the work that I do, sometimes I get a little scattered and, you know, kind of just put up whatever because I just enjoyed making the drawing. Gotcha. Yeah, because I mean, that's one of the things that kind of drew me to your work was when me and Venge used to go out and putting up stuff, you know, I kind of focused more on like panels and boards and gluing those up and he was really into like the oil painted hand painted wheat paste that you know each piece actually took time mm-hmm. and i think back when we were doing a lot of that stuff there was kind of almost like a i don't want to say a guarantee but more of a a chance that it would last longer 
nowadays, I think kind of stuff, there's so much a collector mindset that people either try to steal it or they just kind of, you know, there's so much out there right now that just people go over each other so easily. How do you feel like creating something that's one of a kind, you know, putting it out there and having that risk of it just kind of being gone in one day? I mean, I really like the ephemera of it. I mean, it's a big aspect that I, I know it takes a while for people to kind of get over that aspect. But I think if you're putting something on the street, you have to be okay with it disappearing. And, and there are there are people who just go out there and steal it. And that's, you know, that's part of it as well. Or it might someone might go over it and might get buffed by, you know, uh, a landlord or, or, you know, the vandal squad or something along those lines. But I enjoy it. It kind of keeps me out there, you know, creating work and always kind of, I, I know from years I've put up pieces in some of the same spots and I know if someone posts a picture, I'll go back every few months and say, okay, I need to make another like five foot drawing for this piece uh, or this spot that it kind of just keeps me moving. So I appreciate that, but I know it's, it's something that a lot of people kind of struggle with. A lot of people, who, especially if they decide to make handmade work, they might try to put something up or put a few things up and then realize that, you know, they spend so much time on it and they feel this attachment to it. But I mean, I did graffiti as a kid too. And I remember this one uh, graffiti book, The Art of Giving Over by uh, mm-hmm. Steve Powers. And it's like, it was really just something that it, it really talked about this. And it's something that I think really in that realm it's it's the excitement of, of doing it, but then you also have to. It's just part of it. If you if you don't accept it, then you just won't do it. For okay. the listeners that may not know, what is a vandal squad? Oh, well, apparently, I, I guess with the budget cuts, it got destroyed. But <laughs> but that's at least the the rumor on the streets. But the vandal squad are uh, when you get arrested, the uh, cops that basically focus on graffiti and street art and. Uh, the people who want to talk to you if you get caught for that. Yeah, there's in New York especially, there's always been the, the whole idea of getting caught and, and being shown the books in the Vandal Squad of like right. all the stuff that you've done that, you know, they kind of documented it all. And it's a pretty interesting, I guess, idea. It's an interesting aspect of, of thinking that it's like, are they, I mean, are they fans? Are they ex-writers? I mean, I know my friend got uh, arrested and he was upset when he talked to the Vandal Squad that they didn't know who he was after he's been doing <laughs> for like 10 years and it's like I, I don't know I'm glad you didn't get in more trouble but it's uh, it was pretty hilarious to me I guess it would be kind of def- defeating if you've been putting up work forever to be like oh there's nothing about me in here <laughs> like nothing at all that's, a, that's really funny it sounds like a skit about like an old west kind of guy you know <laughs> yeah like a notorious gunslinger like no I don't know who you are but I have 100,000 followers on Instagram <laughs> well they're all bot except my mom she likes everything I do. you've never heard of me <laughs> yeah it's funny it's like when you see stuff like that it's like how the person who does that doesn't think they it's evident, you know? Like, how do you have, you know, say 50,000 followers and your pictures have 50 likes? It just, just doesn't make sense. Ridiculous. I get the hint, guys. I'm going to get off Instagram tomorrow. I mean, sorry. <laughs> the last time when we were painting a, a mural a couple weeks ago, you were informing me that you had done a whole bunch of work in the poster circuit. First off, I never really realized that there's a whole different, like, poster scene. Like, I always knew there was poster artists, and I just kind of assumed they kind of were, like, loosely you know in other scenes but just people kind of called on them because they knew that they did posters but i didn't realize there was a whole like kind of like genre 
for it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild. I mean, it was in the early uh, 2000s I got into it because I was a musician and playing in, in my band and then had friends who had bands and my brother was in living in New York and it was a band that was just touring around. So I started doing posters for my band and then friends' bands, then meeting bands that they were touring with and started kind of taking off from there. But it's like I got kind of built into that culture while I was doing this because it went from just having fun making these illustrations for my bands to then making hundreds of them over the years. Yeah, it's this whole subculture that uh, similar to your website uh, back in the day with it being this like meeting place for, you know, uh, people to look at graffiti. It was similar. There was uh, gigposters.com and that's where, you know, people would make a gig poster, they'd upload it and and it had this whole kind of nationwide thing that was happening where people would really kind of just like help each other out and kind of comment on things. And it was really uh, an awesome network to be a part of. But I mean, there's big similar to toy shows. There's flat stock that happens every year, which is uh, it's sometimes affiliated with South by Southwest. But I mean, it's a huge, a huge scene. And uh, there's even crossovers from people like Tara McPherson, who does toys, who does, you know, street art, and she's, you know, does amazing paintings. So it's, uh, it's, it's really a an awesome scene. It was great to kind of be a part of it at that point. It really helped me kind of develop my own work and be inspired by other artists. That's uh, really kind of where I got a lot of the inspiration for the work that I do now, which is in the same vein of the poster illustrations that I was doing. Nice. So Chris, I, f- I feel like Brian Ewing's listening to this episode and he's saying, really, Chris? Like we had a whole episode with me. Yeah, no, but I know, see, that's the thing is like, I knew he did gig posters, but I just thought he was doing them in his realm. You know what I mean? Like, he also tattoos, and he also does this, the convention circuit, so I didn't... Put two and two together? Well, I didn't really understand that it was a very specific like, kind of scene. Like, I just thought it was, you know, like like if, like Kozik used to do posters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, would you think of him as Kozik the poster guy, or Kozik the, you know, pop surrealist, or whatever the hell you want to call him? I think it's depending on where you discovered Kozik from, because there's probably another group of Kozik people that only know him for his toys. Mm. Right. So, like, it just depends on where you discovered him. But there's definitely, I would say most people uh, would recognize him for his poster work. I think it depended on the, the, the time period because he really stopped doing them kind of... Mid-90s, right? Like, late 90s, yeah. So, for me, I wouldn't call him just a poster guy. So, that's what I'm saying is, like, I didn't think it was so specific. This is where Chris learned something this episode. Well, I mean, similar to the work that you do, Chris, I mean, there's there's a lot of, like, crossover from, you know, the, the work... I, I remember seeing you at Comic-Con and, you know, this this crossover of, of you know, street art, graffiti, toys. It's a kind of all this Venn diagram at this point. So it's it's always been interesting to me, especially when I was coming up doing poster artwork, trying to do fine art, and then kind of my poster art came out of me doing graffiti as well, that it's... Uh, you know, seeing the people that were crossing over. And those are the people that kind of excited me the most, like people like Kozik or Terry McPherson or Michael Motorcycle, who kind of had these careers in like both worlds and were spanning different genres, which is kind of, I mean, you talk about earlier when you guys were doing your introductions, like spinning so many plates, especially if you're having, you know, you have this toy store and you're doing all these different aspects of it. It's, uh, it's interesting, like the different hustles that people have and the different subcultures that all overlap. Yeah, and I think also too, kind of like we were talking about, there is that that melding, right? And a lot of these artists kind of come and go from different scenes or different groups, you know, but they they kind of are all tied together loosely in kind of this 
I don't know, like what you want to call it, but this like independent art movement, I guess you would say. I, I, they're all moving on their own, but they kind of go from maybe you do posters, maybe you do toys, maybe you do patches, pens, maybe you do uh, fine artwork, maybe you have gallery shows. You know, it just it kind of, I guess you figure out how it works for you and you make that that work, right? It's It's not necessarily, there's not one path for everybody but some people it's like i do this one thing and i do it really well and that's what i do and then there's other people that kind of bounce between different areas um, within the different scenes you know oh 100 i mean I, I felt like when i was doing posters i was also doing music and i was also trying to do painting and and i i was on this forum with all these guys that were you know these kozik types these people who were this was their this was their life and i was this like punk early 20s kid who was just kind of getting fun of by a lot of these guys but i looked up to all of them because you know i'd see these amazing like silk screens they're doing and i was drawing everything by hand and then making like uh, kind of cut paper collages and then kind of printing those out and putting them up and uh in kind of an early form of what i was doing street art wise but seeing that they're like how many passes is this i was like i don't even understand the language that you're talking about just because they're like heavy silk screen guys that like you know have these amazing shops and make these prints and i was like I'm just a like a, a stupid kid in Rochester, like making you know making drawings and putting them up on the street. That's where you're from, is Rochester? Yeah. As a is there a scene like an art scene up there, or was it something where? Because I know there's a few artists from out that way. Yeah, I am. There's actually like a pretty pretty good art scene up there. I mean, the art scene. When I left for grad school, a lot of it was the art scene was kind of lacking. I knew there was only a few galleries, and I really would never really get be able to get anywhere and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there was like a guy, John Perry, he's a really awesome uh, poster artist and kind of he helped me a lot along my way. And there was some really great graffiti artists that kind of started some uh, some more like kind of legal, semi-legal places that people could go and practice painting. But uh, since I've left, there's been a lot of people that went to RIT and kind of stuck around and, and created some other spaces and galleries. So it seems to keep growing and people keep sticking around. So it's nice to see that form of the culture grow because it always really had an awesome music scene uh, because of people who would kind of come through and they'd stop from Chicago on their way to, to Boston or on their way to New York and they'd stop in Rochester and Buffalo. So it was really kind of more of a music town at that point, but it is kind of flourishing a bit more in the arts. Justin Suarez is from up there, right? Uh, he's from Albany, but he moved there uh, about the same time that I moved uh, to Albany, actually. We kind of went to Albany <laughs> for school and he wound up apprenticing at my friend's tattoo shop. Oh, nice. Chris, did you just like clump all of upstate New York into one town? You're like, he's from up there. Oh, yes, 100%. Once, once I get past Beacon, everything's the same. It's one state. It's just all grass and cows and Canada. That's well, that's it. Well, right? I, I appreciate that you go as far as Beacon. That's nice. Well, you know, it's crazy when you think about it. Like when somebody says New York, everybody thinks of New York City, right? That's only like probably like 2% of the entire state of New York. And it's funny because we had this discussion when I painted up in lake chautauqua it's amazing that you can go like six hours north from where i live and still be in the same state like it's crazy yeah when you get up to like when you're up there crossing over into new york out of pennsylvania up there towards the erie where you were talking about there's like a sign that says like 499 miles to new york city it's like there's nothing else that made the <laughs> made the sign it's, but it's beautiful up there i mean it's so nice i mean it's definitely different and i was actually having this discussion the other day with somebody and we were talking about how it's funny how Albany is the capital, and it's like you would just think it was going to be New York City, 
And that's something I remember growing up in the city and not understanding why Albany was the capital. Well, they didn't want it to be bogged down, you know. Yeah. Like Ohio had like four or five different places of the capital, and they were like, you know what, we should just put it in the center so everybody could get there in the same amount of time. <laughs> what is the capital? Columbus, which they're petitioning to change the name of. So I don't know if that's going to go through. And we know Florida is Tallahassee, which makes no sense. That's in the panhandle. It might as well be in Alabama. Well, that's the uh, education on geography hour here. So. <laughs> we haven't done geography in a while on this show, so. That was like a regular thing. That, the weather, COVID, all those. Well, I mean, the weather, we don't go outside anymore, so. So, you mentioned traveling a lot. I know that I've run into your work down in Puerto Rico and a couple of the places I've been. What have been some of your favorite places that you've been able to kind of get up in? Uh, well, I mean, I'm kind of a, growing up in Rochester, I'm a, I was kind of an outsider anyways, because my dad's from New York City and my mom's actually from London, so uh, I head over to try to get over to England every year. And then, uh, so I love putting up in London. I love Barcelona. It's, I go there a lot to, uh, to put up work as well, but Berlin, Rome, I mean, there's just so many amazing places, especially once you go over there that you can easily hop on a train and, or get a flight for nothing and kind of fly around. I mean, last year in March, I went to, I flew to Berlin and then, uh, Barcelona and, uh, Lisbon. And it's, just you know, spend a week just wandering around and like meeting up with friends and putting things up and those kind of. It's one of these things of growing up 499 miles away from New York City. It's it's great being here now because it's such an amazing place to fly from because you can be places for really cheap. That always amazed me. I remember talking to friends and like you know when they went overseas and they would take one train and it would go like three like eight different countries and I'm like what? you're like I can't even get a train to Ohio exactly and it, it was next to nothing too. Yeah, Staten Island, your train has four stops? Uh, I think it's 12 now. Oh, hey, look no. at that. Yeah, we, we, uh, our train system out here is pretty miserable. I tell, I tell a story to people all the time. Back in 96, when it snowed, and it snowed so bad, they actually had to have a uh, coal train to pull the regular train. Oh, damn. On the tracks, yeah, because the tracks were so buried. And I remember trying to get to school one day, and this is the winter of 96 during the big storm. And it took me about six hours to get to school. And I get in, I get in and the teacher looks at me and he goes, you really came in? I go, yeah. He goes, all right, you're passing the class. Don't even worry about it. And that was it. He's like, just keep, you know, show up when you can then. He's like, but you're, you're going to pass. And I was like, okay. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I thought this was about to be a, I had to walk 15 miles uphill in the snow both ways. Well, let me tell you about this one time when I had <laughs> I had to put newspapers on my feet. It's definitely crazy. It's like how outside outside of the U.S., how all the countries are kind of tied together. And that whole idea of being able to kind of just hit up different cities in, in one train ride is amazing. Yeah, it's a much smaller world over there. And, and the idea of, I mean, just, you know, it's like going to the East Coast and every state, everybody speaks a different language. And it's, it's really kind of incredible. And the... And just it makes it realize how giant and spaced out our country is. And they, and, and they kind of look at street art and graffiti a little bit different over there, it seems. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'll put stuff up here, and I, I'm lucky if it lives like a month. That's cool. And, you know, I put up pieces in London or in Barcelona, and they can run a year or two, which uh, it's a very different scenario but it's i i don't get it because it's just as covered and there's just as many people that are going out and doing the you know putting up so i i don't know if there's more of a kind of respect for each other or i mean obviously there's beefs anywhere you go between artists but it just seems that things ride longer yeah it's crazy 
and different cultures love different things. I mean, like my friend, I, a few years ago, I was in Europe with a couple guys out from Portland that I'm friends with, and our my buddy Fox Romana had a, a solo show out there, and they just go crazy for stencil art out there. And really, I mean, there's not any stencil art that really happens in New York City or I guess like many places in the U.S. It's just not even if there's people doing it, it's not kind of respected in the same way. So it's kind of intriguing how each scene kind of has a, a love for, for different types of work. Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to like the, the stubbornness of graffiti. I mean, I'll be honest. I remember, I remember painting a wall with the, you know, some old school guys in, in the Bronx. And when I pulled out a brush to outline stuff, like they literally were like yelling across the street. He's cheating. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's crazy, and and even like, even like when you know I had like friends like Flying Fortress or ECB come over and like well you know we're painting walls and stuff like that, and they're breaking out you know bucket paint to fill sure. because it was it was just so much cheaper you know and then using spray paint you know spray paints you know eight dollars a can, but a gallon of bucket paints you know twenty, you know it kind of makes sense. And I think stencil artists also. I'm kind of hit and miss with stencil artists, I'll be honest. I, I love stencil artists, but sometimes I don't get it. Sure. Mainly because my mind, like my friend Kevin, he'll do a stencil and it's like 26 layers, you know, ridiculously blended piece. And I, my brain can't even, you know, do the freaking outline of my robot for stencil. So, so like watching something like that, I'm like, I don't get it. And I'm just like, kind of, it's cool, but I don't get it. And yeah, I, I, tried, I tried to cut one and I just had no patience for it and didn't quite understand it. I think, you know, you're not only does your mind have to work a certain way, but it's also like it's it's a different type of patience for a different type of payoff. And it's 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 amazing when you see someone who actually reaches the point where you can kind of see their own style in it. And, you know, you see people like uh, like Lambros or Vox Romana or, or um, Logan Hicks. I mean, that's just where their own kind of voice comes through there. But I mean, the amount of Lambros has arthritis or a carpal tunnel in both hands. I mean, it's this kind of thing that, you know, the, all this passion towards something that's just really destroying you more than kind of every other aspect of art. Well, I think sometimes too, people like have to, they have to start thinking that way, right? It's almost like people that their medium is screen printing or whatever. They start thinking in how to build their art in that style. You know, Chris, you're not used to having your art done in that style. So you can't really like process how to do it that way. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just like some computer stuff. Like I get it. And other stuff I'm like, no, nope. you're like, no, I can't do that. Yeah. Computers. Like I'm 29 and holding. Come on guys. Like, <laughs> I can't handle this. Very funny. This is going to be the ongoing joke. Is this, is it, I'm going to be the old guy. Oh wait, I forgot. Yeah, that has been the joke since the first episode. Hey, you're the one that brought it up this episode. Well, that's because my birthday's coming up. I'll get you an ice cream cake. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> as long as it's got crunchies in it, I'm fine. Oh, come on. It's the best. got to have crunchies. When I, I remember a long, long time ago before crunchies were a thing, my mom got me, it was a football cake, and the football cake was completely coated with the crunchies on the outside. And, you know, I couldn't give two shits about football. And the guy at Carvel is like, what do you want to write on the cake? You know, his favorite team. And my mom's like, no, I guess like, what do you mean? She's like, I just want the cake. And the guy just couldn't understand that. It, it, we didn't care about football, that we just cared about the crunchies. <laughs> That's it. Only enough crunchies. I never heard them called crunchies before. I had to look it up to make sure that it wasn't a thing you were making up. And I saw Carvel crunchies. Are you serious? 
Yeah, <laughs> never heard them called crunchies. All right, what do you, what do you call the things that go on ice cream? Those little, they could either be rainbow colored or sprinkles. Sprinkles, but in other other areas, they call them jimmies. Jimmy. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. At Not like, down here, but like South Jersey, they call them jimmies. And I remember like going down there, and I'm like, "What the fuck's a jimmy?" <laughs> and, and and they had to show them to me. I'm like, "Yeah, sprinkles." And like, "No, those are jimmies." I'm like, "Oh, I get it." So it's like the people who call soda, you know, a different word. It'd be rainbow jimmies. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, exactly. If they're chocolate, it's chocolate jimmies. Yeah. Huh. It almost sounds kind of sounds racist. Almost. It, yeah, it does. This is getting this is dark, man. I just want sprinkles. Exactly. <laughs> All-encompassing word. Yeah. That, so that was a that was a thing in uh, South Jersey, especially. So you studied art. You went to art school. Mm-hmm. What was your big biggest takeaway from art school? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of it was. Uh, it, it all depends on where you go, right? And the pedagogy the school has. Because I went to so I went to undergrad for art education. So that's why it's like, it's funny listening to you talk about, you know, being painting in the Bronx and people, you know, like calling you out when you pull out a brush. I mean, I'd never really, until grad school, I didn't have a focus. You, when you go to art education, you have to learn every type of art um, making skills because you might be a painter, but you might get hired as a ceramics teacher. So um, a lot of my style came from that, from taking, having to take drawing classes, painting classes, ceramics classes. So the idea of being a purist was something that I never really quite understood. So when I got to grad school, the focus wasn't really about like, you know, how to paint. It was, it, it was really kind of, you learned all this stuff, now unlearn it and really just find out what your voice is and what you're going to create. So mm-hmm. for some people, that's a little too hectic and a little too loose. But for me, it was good. And the takeaway I, I brought from that is if you go to grad school for painting, there's a test. More importantly, your studio practice. And if you're actually going to make it as an artist in the sense of, like, is this going to be a lifetime thing? And then also how to take criticism. Because when you sit up there and you have to defend the work that you're making, you better believe in it. Because people are going to realize if you're bullshitting them or not. So, and, and also, like, even if someone's being really mean to you, there's probably some truth in there. So to be able to take kind of take all that and digest it and take what you need out of it to hopefully create better work. You know, it's kind of funny, like the whole critiquing thing, like I've had this talk with people before and, and critiques are one of the best things that could come out of art school mm-hmm. because it does humble you and it also does build you up at the same time. And it's kind of funny, like thinking about it, there really isn't a lot of that in the street art world or the graffiti world. You know, it's it's almost nowadays become more about, you know, patting everybody on the back. Yeah, it's it's weird. So I, I left Albany. I moved to Bushwick and I lived with a couple of guys from grad school. And Bushwick at that time, 10 years ago, was really just full of artists. So it's like I could throw a stone and hit four different artists and I would, you know, just just call someone over or have a studio visit. They'd see what I'm working on and we talk about things. And then when I started kind of switching more over to make street art, uh, it was a really hard thing to get someone over and come look at your work critically. Like it reminded me like I taught undergrad uh, drawing courses for a while and it felt like I was talking to my undergrad students where this like, I like it. I was like, yeah, but why? Mm-hmm. come on dig in a little deeper like what do you like about it what don't you like about it and it's just like no no it's good and I was like, ah. so i mean that was really like a, a hard thing when transitioning over to kind of focusing on street art and hanging out with more street artists is like i wanted that 
critical thing. Like, you don't have to like everything I do. I know I make a lot of crap work, but I make a lot, so hopefully there's some good stuff in there. <laughs> Isn't like, that great? It's like, that's, that's like, it's kind of great having that, that ability for the honesty. And I think, I think that's, I think that's a big part that's missing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Uh, I mean, I can't really pinpoint, you know, what the change was, but I know that being kind of in this scene for like over a decade now is that just like a lot of the people that kind of, inspired me that we're doing kind of really uh, drastically different work that were people who have now blown up and people that I would see their work on the street. And I was like, damn, I really have to like step up my game. And because, I mean, look at this stuff, you know, turn a corner, you see a swoon piece and there's icy and sot stencil and there's some skewville shoes thrown up and, you know, you see Hanksy's work around. And then, uh, I mean, I just kind of all those people that were pushing me a lot of, I mean, they've all moved on and, you know, kind of, it's gotten a little bit bland in a sense. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of hoping to, to kind of find more of that so I can push myself because I can't get the, the criticism, the critique. I mean, it's nice to have a, a like button on the, uh, huh. and have some, someone comment and be like, cool, or send me an emoji, but it really doesn't really help. It's weird. It's, 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 it's the truth. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a ton of crap out there now. You being somebody who's seasoned in it, and having the abilities, I mean, you see a ton of crap. And it's almost, for me, I just wonder if there is going to be that progression forward, like with some of those people you've mentioned, you know, or is it just going to kind of stay stagnant like it's kind of been? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's some new people on the scene that are, are in, at least in the New York scene, that are exciting. But, you know, there's there's been a just kind of constant influx of new people over the past few years that... I kind of I, I try to hold all judgment for like at least a year when I see anybody's work because <laughs> it's like hopefully they'll progress. Hopefully they're just kind of out there. Or like you said earlier, anybody can go out there and and put something on the street. And I mean, it's not everybody can get something into a gallery or a museum. So it's like you're going to have a wide gamut of people who are fans, uh, people who have like backgrounds in, in certain types of aspects of art already. But I mean, so they're just going to start putting things out there. And then in a year, you're either going to get busted, you're going to realize that no one cares more than you care, or that you just, you know, you don't, or the, hopefully they progress and they start making good work. And there are some people out there that are doing that. And I'm kind of curious to see where they, you know, take off to. But uh, I've also seen some people take off quickly and then they just get picked up and don't make work on the street anymore. But mm. that's, a, that's a huge part of it these days. If I was going to say to you, name... What, you know, at least one artist that you think everybody should kind of check out right now. Who would it be? Uh, I mean, there's a guy that I've seen progress a lot in the past couple of years called Pure Genius. And, I mean, he went from a guy that it was hitting me up a year ago. And he was like, you should follow me on Instagram. And I would see just, like, his stickers that he would make. you just write Pure Genius. And I was like, listen, dude, if I had followed everybody on Instagram who wrote their name on a fucking sticker... I would never look at Instagram. So, and then a year later, I see that he's making these weird characters, and then now he's doing kind of weird, like giant wee pastes that are like have installation aspects to it. And I was like, oh, okay, this is like it's interesting to see the progress of it, and I'm curious to see where he'll go with it. Um, and it's it's cool to see someone like that's. I remember one friend uh, 
blue dog that I used to put up with for years, he's like, I put everything on the street. And because a lot of people have that mindset, you do see their progression. Unlike, you know, if you go to a, someone has a gallery show or maybe someone puts out a, a toy or something and there's there's so much time in between that it's just like, oh, there's the new thing. It's kind of like a, a band putting out an album. You don't really get to see it. It's just like, here's the next hot new thing that they're creating. So it's, it's interesting to see people uh people progress but i mean he's the first person that really comes to mind i even like you know someone like sack six it's been interesting to see him kind of uh expand on you know first off making these printouts with kind of celebrities and now he's doing something completely different uh kind of making these weird like zen gardens in the in the ground with like a like a, a rake with paint attached to it and kind of making these designs like you would in a Zen garden with a, with a rake and rocks and sand. And it's like, it's just curious to see where people are going. So, I mean, that was very long winded and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's really jazz, but no, it's great because I, you know, I definitely agree with you. Pure genius, pure genius. I mean, like, I just saw like one of the newer pieces he did was like a really big insulation kind of piece that it felt like something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's nice to see people go big because it's just, you know, it's, it's, it takes a little bit more forethought. And sometimes like that's when people start to think about placement, they start to think about other aspects of it rather than just kind of like throwing up something on a wall. I mean, so it can, the, when you can use the street as the context to kind of further the art, it's it becomes like a, it adds a whole new dimension to it, which I really like. Yeah, it's nice. I know me and you have collaborated on a few things. How how how's your outlook on on collaborations with artists? Oh God, I mean I I have been doing it all the time and will continue to do it. I mean I I love the aspect of it. I mean there's just a lot of ways that you can do it. I've uh, collaborated with artists from all over Europe and the U.S. and uh, I just it's one aspect I really like about street art that I was missing in the fine art world uh, because of years of being a musician, it is collaboration. I mean, you have an idea, you sit down with someone and, you know, they bring their idea to it and hopefully you create something that neither of you thought was possible. So it's kind of that that same idea. And I, when I went to art school, I was like, well, let's make some paintings together. And people were so precious and secretive about what they were doing and what they were creating. And their egos got more involved that it has been a refreshing aspect from the street art world that people are very open. And it started a lot with the aspect of a lot of people are making printouts. So if they just said, hey, I printed a bunch of these out, I'm just going to send them to you and make something with it. And I was like, okay, yeah, no problem. So kind of started with that and something that I just will continue to do because it pushes me in a direction that if someone, you know, gives me a, a picture of a phone booth and then I have to kind of create something with that, it, I would never use a picture of a phone booth. So it's like I, I enjoy that aspect and that challenge. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny. I kind of had like the opposite experience with collaborations. I remember when I was in school, like getting getting painters to collaborate was actually kind of easy. I, I just don't know if it was like kind of the the people I went to school with or whatever. And then I remember bringing in the collaborations into like stickers and stuff like that. And people in the beginning they had no clue what I was talking about. They're like, mm -hmm. what do you mean? And I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I'll do half the sticker, you do the other half. And they're like, why? And it's like. Because, and then trying to explain to people that, you know, it's to kind of like push your, you know, push your artwork and push, you know, their artwork and 
and also the fact that now, you know, if you're collaborating with somebody in, say, Philadelphia, now there's a guarantee that your work will be in Philly and their work will be in New York, vice versa. And it was kind of funny, like, trying to explain that to people in the beginning. If you talk about Philly, I mean, that is a huge, not only a huge sticker city, but also one that when I started traveling to Philly, I mean, the the idea of just like, it is a collaboration city. It's a character city and it's a collaboration city. I mean, it's like... Yeah. You know, this everybody who's a sticker artist is working with everybody else, and it's something that that was really my first introduction to. You know, people that are adding together like five or six two two eights, and everyone's got their different character in it. And I mean, it's it's just really interesting to see. And yeah, this was like early two thousands, like two thousand one, two thousand two, like before. Like, can't people were doing like the chain collabs? You know, like sure, collect sure. them all together. Like those are incredible, but those become those aren't going up. No, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's. You know, what are you going to do, like, line the whole block with it? <laughs> you know, that's one thing that kind of sucked is, like, those would end up on, you know, in somebody's Trapper Keeper or something. Sure. It might be more of a friendship bracelet if we're going to go in the Trapper Keeper realm. There you go. Like a, like a Chewbacca Bandolero. Speaking of uh, collaborations, have you guys seen um, this kid? His name's Background Bob. No. Mm. At the beginning of, like, COVID, he's a kid. He has, I'm not exactly sure what he has, but he has some sort of disability. What he does is he basically paints, like, a background, and then he's been sending it to artists that are willing to collaborate with him, and then they put their character design over top of it. I guess they're making, like, a book based on the artwork or whatever, but it's actually, um, it's kind of cool to see all the different uh, folks' artworks over his, like, the backgrounds that he's making. But they were looking for something for him to do uh, while he was kind of trapped in the house, and it kind of turned into, like, a cool project. So it's kind of cool to see all these people coming together and making the the pieces. Yeah, I don't know. I saw somebody share it, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I saw a bunch of artists that I recognized, and I was like, oh, this is really cool that people are all doing it. So nice. background underscore Bob on Instagram. And how many followers does he have? Like 2,000. You can get in on the ground floor. I'm not going to follow him. Come on. I'm only kidding. So that's my little plug for the episode for somebody else that's not on the episode. There you go. That, that's your input. That's my that's my input. Toss something in that has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> my collaboration input. So as far as you know, you're you're traveling and going around the world. Do do you have a specific spot that's like your your favorite piece you've put up like internationally? I guess it's the ones that ride the longest. That you know, because I you know after you make hundreds of pieces, you kind of forget a lot of them. So it's, uh, that's one of the nice things about, uh, about Instagram is where they pop back up. And uh, a few years back uh, over in Paris, uh, actually I did this collaboration with, it was me, Turtle Caps, my friend D7606 uh, from London, and my buddy Dr. Scott, who's from Portland. So we made this big character. And after I left Paris that day, they wound up putting it up down by the canal. And that thing stayed for like two or three years. So the fact that it kept kind of like popping up and it was this kind of fun character of Dr. Scott does these skulls. So it was a guy with a skull wearing like a astronaut helmet. And it was kind of like a little boy he had a ray gun in his hand. And it was just kind of this, this cool like mashup of all of our characters that created this kind of new character. And the fact that just like you keep getting reminded of is kind of a fun aspect. So that's probably one of uh, my favorite ones because it's just, again, like I said, you know, it's, the experience of going out, putting stuff up, and kind of hanging out with friends in a new city and enjoying just kind of the exploration. But a lot of times I forget about the 20, 30 pieces that I, you know, big pieces that I put up. And it's just nice to be reminded every once in a while. 
also weird that I can, if, once I see a picture of it, I remember exactly where it's from. That's kind of like a weird ADD of when, as soon as I see the picture, I'm like, ah, yeah, I know where that is. Well, and I think part of that too might be the fact that uh, because you're putting up more work into like hand done pieces and whatnot to put them out on the street, you kind of, you are connected to that piece a little more than say somebody that's going out and putting up just posters and stickers everywhere, you know? It's true. I, I think about placement a little bit more. I mean, when I was on that trip, kind of hanging out with guys who do really beautiful work and they do hand on work, but then they'll make printouts when they're going to go uh, travel around. You know, I remember being in Paris and seeing this, this like cool balcony and it's like, okay, I'm going to weep paste something. And I'm going to have this cat and he's climbing the wall. So it looks like he's climbing up to the balcony. And then I turn and then I'll, all of a sudden, all these four guys, then they're pasting up on the wall, and I turn around the corner, and they're pasting up the wall next to us, and they're pasting up the wall in the other building, and it's like, Jesus, all right, just like, calm down, it's like, not as special when it's just, <laughs> but, you know, there's a different way of doing it, but I do, I do believe that, you know, you're correct, it's like, you know, the, the idea of kind of spending more time with the piece, and then kind of thinking out a little bit more about where it's going to go, that can be detrimental too, though, I have a friend who uh, makes wonderful work, and then he travels around, because he's obsessed with Space Invader, and he'll, you know, go, I go, I went to Berlin, and I saw these new Space Invaders, and it's like, did you put any of your work up? He's like, nah, I mean, I brought like 10 pieces, I didn't find any good spots. You do do a ton of stickers too, I mean, you don't just do, you know, hand the wee paste with the stickers what's do you screen print a lot of the outlines and hand paint and hand color them in yeah i mean it's kind of when i started doing street art i was kind of drawn to wee paste because i used to do graffiti but i you kind of grew up painting under train bridges and things along those lines where you could paint there forever so uh i went from that to when i moved to new york and was going to start doing street art i'm i'm really slow at painting so i we paste was a great way to put things up that I could spend hours on and put it up in a few minutes. But getting into the scene, I realized there was people who were doing bolt ups and people like the sticker scene was huge and um, kind of all the crossover, especially stickers is the one crossover where you get graffiti artists and you get street artists that will kind of meet in the middle and like each other's work. So, I mean, I figured I would like to get involved in this world, too, because it's like a whole nother subculture in a subculture. So uh, but I wanted to find a way that, you know, I could make stickers that would still represent the work that I make. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I silkscreen most of them and then uh, color them in by hand with color pencils. And then I'll do a bunch of hand drawn ones, too. But I'll kind of si similar to my friend Lunchbox. I remember talking to him about it. It's like I can spend as much time on a small sticker then i'll make a five foot drawing so it's like i really the, the silk screening aspect really helps speed that up because if i'm going to draw five stickers that i'm going to put up and then people are going to take them the next day i'd rather do five five foot drawings i gotcha makes sense kind of allowed to open up into this different world and and kind of meet other people and it's crazy how there's you know i'm in Berlin, there's a sticker museum. In Indonesia, there's a sticker museum. I mean, you go to Tattooed Mom in Philly, and it's just like this amazing place where people uh, people meet up and they have amazing shows for stickers. And there's sticker shows are all over the world. I mean, it's really kind of a, a crazy a crazy network for it, and it's an outlet for people who, like I said, who do graffiti, do street art, and all this other kind of genre of people who just want to be both things but don't go and put things up so their outlet is just making stickers they're just like the the person behind the scenes like the armchair detective of the street art world <laughs> hey get in where you fit in right? <laughs> 
But it's cool, though. I mean, some of those some of those artists, I mean, they put, like, so many hours into making this incredible sticker. And then, like you said, it's going to end up in someone's Trapper Keeper. The trading world is a little, a little weird and kind of strange kind of other underground thing that I just can't really be involved in anymore. Because it just, like you said, you spend all this time on stuff and it'll just kind of end up in, in someone's sticker book somewhere. That that weird like baseball aspect of it. Trading cards, street art trading cards. <laughs> well, that's what happens. I mean, it's like literally like trade up, like you know, be like, all right, I'll give you two city kitties for one flying fortress. Yeah, I mean, it's it's strange. After for years, it's like when I first started off, like someone contacted me, I was like, oh, cool, yeah, I'll send you stickers. Uh, but you know, making them on my hand, I'd make a couple hundred. It would take me like you know, ten fifteen hours to do all these, and then I just pay for postage and send them all out. And it's like, it, well, and then. Sometimes you see him pop up somewhere. It's like, I don't know where the hell that person got that, but that's cool. And then people will do like in their tiny little town in Indiana, they're going to find like a post box and they're going to do a mashup of 40 different stickers that the postman's going to get mad about and strip off the next day. But like, it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's, it gets a little tiresome after a while. Now, I mean, stickers are the one thing that, like, I'll, I'll make a bunch of them and put them out on my walk to work and then kind of walk back the next day and they're all stolen or torn off. So it's a, it's a, I'd rather do that and have fun putting them up than mail them out to people for their collection. That's definitely understandable. That's where I've gotten jaded. I get in my own way all the time. I, I, I think about the kind of culture you guys in with, uh, with toys and, and kind of mass productions of things. And I've that's that's where I get in my own way. I wish I could kind of give more of that up and create more things because I think it could be a really cool outlet. And I love all that stuff. And I grew up loving action figures and toys. And uh, but I just I'm, I'm neurotic about that. I mean, it's kind of like you create your baby and you just like, can I really trust you to make a good version of this? Have you ever tried sculpting the actual City Kitty at all, or? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think I ever have. I mean, I've made a bunch of sculptures before, and I guess my, my wife's a sculpture teacher, so I should probably just go into her studio and try making something, so I'm really kind of... Yeah, you kind of have an in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once COVID's over, I'll have an in. I mean, she hasn't been in her classroom forever. Yeah, I should definitely at least attempt it. I definitely think the the astronaut one would look really cool. Mm. One aspect of that I, I like that we kind of both have that I, I kind of miss from now that no one's commuting to work really is that um, your commuter drawings that you were doing on like post-it notes and things because for the you know past few years me finding uh, these subway posters that and like uh, and drawing into them at work and kind of putting them back up it's like this other aspect of you know like commuter life that is a very New York thing. Uh, because we have all this free time and, you know, kind of what we do with it as artists. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely something I've been missing. Like, I try to kind of figure out another route to go with it, and I just right. can't. You know, it's not the same, you know, sketching from freaking TV or something. You know, it's like just that. That's, that's one thing I definitely do miss during this whole thing is the people watching. Mm-hmm. Oh, and 100%. Just, yeah, I mean, there's this guy, sticker artist Synapse uh, from Boston, and I mean, he does all these kind of very comic book esque uh, drawings of, of stickers of people that he sees on the T when he's driving, when he's on the on the T going to work, and it's just kind of like a cool aspect of it. Like he's just he's just people watching and then just making stickers from the people he sees on the train. I don't know if you want to talk about, it, but you have a pretty cool job. 
Oh yeah, I mean it's it's cool. I'm all over the place, which is kind of one of the fun things from doing these these posters uh, that I take all different train lines and get to kind of draw on all different people's train lines and people find these posters everywhere on their commutes because I work at different museums and uh, galleries in New York and then build sets for photo shoots in Jersey. So kind of uh, all over them, all over the city in that sense. And uh, because I've been working in Jersey mainly because there's been a lot of photo shoots happening that uh, I wish I was on the train more, but now I'm just riding my bike. So I'm just, you know, trying not to die every day on the way to work. <laughs> for photo sh- like photo shoots or for like commercials? What exactly is it for? Uh, for photo shoots. So I started off this industry in this industry a few years ago. Uh, I got almost like 10 years ago now when I was living in Bushwick with a bunch of different artists and uh, a woman that I was living with was like, do you want to work a photo shoot? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. And she's like, well, it pays two fifty a day. And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> so I, I started working for, uh, for Rachel Ray doing uh, working on her photo shoots for her uh, magazine covers and did that for a while and then working with uh, a friend there said hey do you want to work in this betting catalog and I was like no I'm fine he's like well they shoot all the time and they pay 275 a day I'm like okay yeah I'm, I'm totally down for that so forget you Rachel Ray <laughs> yeah me and Ray Ray broke up after that and uh, basically I've been there for doing that off and on between the museum and gallery stuff for the past eight years and build fake bedrooms and fake bathrooms and, you know, raw studios and then put pretty uh, blankets and sheets on it and sell it to people in the Midwest. That's cool. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of cool actually have something art related. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot from doing that kind of stuff that I bring into my own work. And I mean, also there's a lot of downtime on that kind of job. So like I did a series for, like a year or two called a board at work series where when I'm bored and sitting around, we have all these off cuts of boards that we're using and I draw on a panel and on the way home, I'd stick it up with double-sided tape somewhere in the city. And I did 200 of those. So I, I just would write, like write my name on the back, write what number it was. And then, you know, I would also, I brought some to Paris, I brought some to Berlin and different places, but it was uh kind of interesting to see kind of similar with this subway series. It was kind of like the next version of that to see where they end up because it's, uh, you know, something that people can just take off the wall and bring with them. So it'd be sometimes people from, from a different country, from a different city who happen to find it when they're on vacation. And so it's like, that's all because of this job. I wouldn't do that on my own. That's awesome. Have to make the most of your time. That's the takeaway from this episode. Make the most of your time. (laughs) And Rainbow Jimmies. Well, guys, we've been talking for a while, so let's go ahead and start to wrap this episode up. City Kitty, if you want to go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you on the old internet. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at City Kitty Street, and you can look uh, up some of my stuff at, on my website at citykittystreet.com. And Chris? You can find me at Chris RWK or at Robots Will Kill. And Corey? strangecattoys.com and strangecattoys on all social medias. And I'm Travis Likens. You can find me at UVDtoys or UVDtoys.com. Before we roll out, we do want to take us a second to thank our sponsors. First up, we have Stickerfied. Stickerfied.com, No Love City, NoLoveCity.com, SD Prints, SDScreenprinting.net, and TYOtoys, TYOtoys.com. This has been the Urban Robot Cat Podcast, the show about art and the people who make it.
Each day's a present we all get to open a wondrous gift wrapped in every sunrise a present to cherish with each passing moment a memory unfolding in front of our eyes some of them faded some i can see clearly but this one I'll always hold close to me dearly Because your birthdays are special Each one is special They'll always be special to me Each year's a journey A brand new adventure Brimming as big as the sky Shining like starlight But silent like wishes On candles that shine For each year that's gone by Some moments stay with us Others are missing As you blow out the candles For you I am wishing that your birthdays are special Each one is special They'll always be special to me And the sun will keep shining On the earth that's below us What our minds will not show us We know Stretched before us to places unknown So many chances to sing happy birthday Perhaps I'll share birthdays with kids of your own All of these moments, the good times together I hope they'll stay with you That your birthdays were special Each one was special They'll always be special to me Yeah, they'll always be special To me